Yeah, he had all that business with the drip doctor, didn't he? But like before that, he was one of the best players in the Premier League, or midfielders anyway. He just couldn't play with David Silva. And when they're in the same team together, it was just it just didn't work. But when they weren't, when it was just Samir Nasri, he was amazing. Welcome to the 5W Football Podcast, where we discuss the who, the what, the where, the when, and the why of football. I'm your host, Andrew Misra, and this week we're back with some improved sound quality, courtesy of a change of location. As lovely as it was to be in Joe Davis's kitchen slash living room, which we named Joe's Kitchen, we decided we needed to be a bit more professional so you can hear us a bit a bit nice a bit more nicely. Isn't that right, lads? So absolutely. After the pilot episode last week. Um, we're back here for what I'm going to call the post-pilot episode, and I'm joined by Barney Stevenson. Hello, hello, Andrew. How are you doing, Barney? You got a nice roll, roll neck t-shirt jumper. I'm, I'm doing very well, thank you. Yeah, um, I've got. Um, yeah, I don't know what you describe the material as. It's not. It's not quite a jumper. It's a bit more t-shirty the material, but uh, got a few compliments on it last week, so I thought I'd. Bring it back out. It's a bit of a sort of snood situation going up at the top, isn't it? There is a bit of a snood situation, yeah. It wouldn't wouldn't be appropriate for the pitch, and uh, I won't be playing in it tonight. No. Wonderful. And I'm also joined by Lewis Steele. Lewis, how are you doing? Good morning, mate. How are you? Okay. I'm I'm well. We and we should also add that we we've lost a few members. Um, sadly, Kieran and Joe cannot be with us today. Uh, we've had to downgrade. So please don't turn off. We. You're just going to have to listen to us speak more, which hopefully will turn out to be a good thing um, come the end of the show. As we said, we have changed location. We're in the Diamond, um, which is a Sheffield University building. Quite a swanky building, so... I'd say it's the university's sort of main showpiece building, isn't it, really? We've yeah. really... It is like the front of the catalogue sort of building. Yeah. Like yeah. This. It must have cost a few million quid. I don't know where they've got the money from, but it's good. Yeah, I feel like we've really kind of stepped to our game. I mean, I've I've come in in a full tuxedo as a result to kind of you know match the match the occasion. You have, and you're um, looking very nice as well. Aren't you? Not a snood so. though, I notice you've not got a snood on like Barney. No, well, I didn't want to make too much of a statement. No, snood in a tuxedo as well. And it's a slightly yeah. odd combination, Lewis. Well, it's yeah, but Sammy and Nasri pulled the snood off as we've been talking about off air. He, he did. Uh, Lewis Lewis has a particular fascination with with Sammy and Nasri, It seems. Um, supposed to be coming back, wasn't he, to uh, to West Ham? He hit, well, I don't know what's happened there. He was meant to be coming back. I think he's training with them, which will mean now that they've got Pellegrini, Zabaleta, and Samir Nasri, which is like the holy trinity of City iconic legends, basically. All they need now is Yaya Torre. What happened to Samir Nasri? Did he get banned for something? Well, he had all that dodgy business with the dodgy doctor. Um, and he's just a very controversial character. But on his day, he was unbeatable, as we've said before. Yeah, he's a good player. I like Well, I say I like him. I sort of hate him. But very good footballer. Yeah. I won't qualify that. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you probably heard at the top there, we've got a, a nice new jingle, I believe the parlance is, in this, in this world. Uh, and that comes from our very own musical maestro, Joe Davies. 
TJJD. I thought, I'd, what do we think about it? I like it, clearly, hence <laughs> its inclusion. Um, I, it feels a little bit, as soon as you hear it, I feel, I feel very South American. I was going to say, I thought it was a bit Hispanic in a way. I don't, I don't know if you were getting that, Lewis. I thought it was very Christmassy. I did. I heard, <laughs> I heard it. And my first thought was, let's go to B&Q and get a, bit, a Christmas tree, which is what I've done this weekend. I've got a Christmas tree. I had to bow down to Temptations. Really? My girlfriend was like, I want a Christmas tree. I was like, it's not the 1st of December. We can't have one. She was like, who says? And she won. That so was you, the end of the argument. Christmas tree is already up then? It is up. Tinsel, which I'm also not a big fan of, but yeah. Now, we'll part that idea about Christmas trees when we come back to talk about footballing formations in a short while. Um, we should also add that we've now launched our website uh, over at 5wfootball.com. We're all very excited about it. It's it's looking pretty nice, I'd it say. Is, yeah, yeah. I don't I want to go too yeah. overboard with self-promotion, but it's... Got a nice well, colour scheme. The yeah. you know the Dortmund colour schemes are like to yeah. refer to it as. Almost it's got, got some good, good some content nice on content. there. Um, yeah. Why did Why did we end up choosing the sort of gold and black? Is there anything behind that? Is just that the most well, neutral of the? Well, sort of. It was just I was playing around with it and I liked the gold and black. There was nothing behind it. I just liked the yeah. colour scheme. Yeah. I guess it's um, it's the gold standard that we're aiming for. Uh, reminds me of a, who was it? Sam Sparrow. Black, black and gold. gold. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we maybe should end on black and gold sometimes for the podcast. Oh, we don't no. get too well, many copyright <laughs> issues. <laughs> and also, we were talking about one season wonders last week, but he is the best one hit wonder ever. He, Would you say? I, Would you agree? I agree. Yeah, best yeah. one hit wonder know. of the 20th century. I'm, 21st century. I'm sorry. to throw out um, Niles Barkley, no. who, who had to actually yeah. rebrand himself because um, crazy got so. So big. Nice. He came back as CeeLo Green. Yeah. So he, that doesn't count. That, that, that's not a one-hit wonder if he's come back. Well, weren't, weren't Niles Barkley a band and CeeLo Green part of Niles Barkley? Well, I, I don't know. I've, I've had this discussion before, and ultimately we just didn't reach a decision. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of think we should maybe crack on with the football. Yeah. yeah. Talk, yeah. I mean, Niles Barkley is... You we know, could have a, 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 an a, a episode about Niles Barkley and Seal. Yeah, just stick on the website. We'll leave, hear more yeah. about this. <laughs> yeah, <it's> just, <laughs> we'll leave that for another week. If just park it there. Um, so, our first topic for, for this week uh, Tiago Motta, who is nowadays coaching uh, Paris Saint Germain under 19s, has come out with this revolutionary idea that football's main formation will soon be a 2 7 2. And that would be what he would he would look to use as a manager. Got a quick quote from here. He says, "The future lies with a two-seven-two. I count seven in the middle of the field. For me, the attacker is the first defender, and the goalkeeper the first striker. The goalkeeper starts the game with his feet, and from the wings, the offensive pressing to recover the ball takes place." Now, I, first thing I thought was, is he just trying to get his, get his name out there a bit as a bit of a Novel thinking manager, but what do we think about this? We- weird formations, you know, best formations. Uh, the thing that I've been a little bit confused about, I think we spoke about it briefly yesterday, is um, is the two is does that include the goalkeeper? Where does the goalkeeper come into this the- formation? Because I presume he's part of either the two or possibly the central in the seven. 
Yeah, the goalkeeper is in front of the two. So, like, let's think about he's, it. He's, say a, it. He's a centre-mate. The goalie's a centre-mate. <laughs> let's say it is PSG and it is Thiago Motta. You've got your Thiago Silva and Kimpembe. Yeah. And then you've got Buffon in front of them. Right, OK. So, so the aim is just to get Buffon. That actually is what it is as well. Wow. OK. Yeah. Um, no, well, I, I think that formation's... Absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to imagine back from the days of, of playing football, you know, in, in my younger days, imagine, suggest, we never really played anything that wasn't a 4 4 2. It was yeah. unthinkable that you would even dare to suggest wing backs or. Oh, yeah, the goal is just going to play yeah. centre mid. Is that all right? What, what's the benefit of having the goalkeeper playing in front of the back two? So he's the first attacker. It's, it's ludicrous. So if, you're, if you're if you're a centre back, regardless of you know how inept you might be with the ball at your feet, what does that do for your confidence if a goalie just comes out and like right here, yeah, I'm, I'm the ball? Are I'm they the literally just there to clear the ball off the line? The well, team? well, I assume this was when you got the ball. Surely. Well, I'd like to. <laughs> I don't back the idea, but I am the resident goalkeeper of the five-a-side team. And sometimes, especially last week, it was freezing cold and I didn't see a lot of the ball. I got a bit lonely. I was talking to the people behind the goal, but I was a bit like, I want to get out there and start playing with the ball. Yeah. And I know that doesn't translate into results, but all things like this do start. And I was talking about this in my Bielsa piece on the website, quoting Kanye West saying, name one genius that ain't crazy. And I'm not calling Thiago Motta a genius, but... All ideas, all ideas do start like this, and maybe in ten years' time it could be like that. And people don't like to predict that far into the future in football because it's scary. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. It also reminded me of Garth Crooks in his his weekly BBC Team of the Week. We've had some bizarre formations in that down the years. He basically just, I, I, I think he just picks. Whatever he fancies. If there's been seven good right back performances this week, we'll have seven a team of right, right backs. backs. Yeah. Um, I think he just looks and he says that team have kept a clean sheet. Mm-hmm. Let's put their whole back four in. He's scored a goal, but we've already got two defenders, so he's sticking at right wing. It's just a bit. Yeah. It doesn't add up, but I think he does do it on purpose to get the exposure. Surely he would have been sacked by now. I generally find that a bit of a problem with sort of team of the week, team of the year. Dream teams, though they uh, they often either stick stick with a four four two, which not many teams play really now. It's quite an archaic formation, or um, or you end up with a team of like five strikers. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't. I don't really know the way around it, but it's not great, is it? Yeah, I saw a question on Twitter this morning. It was. Name a combined team of like the top five teams of the Premier League era, like United, ninety nine and two thousand seven, then City, Arsenal, Chelsea's a good one, and it's hard. I was like Drogba, Omri, Aguero, who do I pick? But there are, there have been some ludicrous formations over time. Yeah. It reminds me as well as football manager back in the day when you used to be able to make, show the runs they were going to make, so you'd have your thing and then you'd do like a right mm. click and it would it would have the run forward. I just I just think that the formations you start with, you know, on your, on your whiteboard in the dressing room or whatever they use these days, um, it's not reflective of what actually happens on the pitch, is it? You know, the, there's so much to account for, you know, who you actually... Your left back marking an amazing right winger, but your right back's, you know, got a free reign up that side. It's, it's not balanced, so... 
I think it's difficult to translate that onto onto the pitch. Yeah, that so because like you say, when you had the football manager screen, you'd make everything symmetrical. Every every what like fullbacks bombing forward, wingers maybe sort of bombing forward but diagonally inside. But um as you say, I mean football's not played symmetrically. But having said that, formations are basically always symmetrical. I mean, can anyone think of a lopsided formation? Well, I'm sure it's happened, but... I think Pep's Barca were a bit weirdly lopsided. They did line up, and, it, you know, they always give it, and it does, on, like, Sky, for example, I put it out as a 4-3-3 or a 4-4-2 or whatever, but it plays as... I've got one in front of me now. It's basically... It's been listed as a 2-2... Two, two, I've got to do the maths here. 2-2-5-1... Two, two, so you've got Puyol, PK, and then Abidal is also that inverted left back with Busquets, and then you've got Alves out wide, Thiago on the left, and then Iniesta, Xavi, Fabregas, and then Messi as a false nine. So you could even say they've not got a striker, mm. and that team—I don't know what games they use that in, but I reckon it got over eighty percent possession because they've just got so many players on the pitch. It's a pretty ludicrous formation. That is, it really is. Yeah, but with those sorts of with the players that are in there, though, you can see that that's the quality there is going to balance itself out, isn't it? Yeah, really? and it could do. I mean, City have played it a bit this season, and you, Alves, it can, that can change quite easily into a four-four-two, can't it? If yeah. Alves tucks in and Aber- and Abidal then pushes wide, I think people do fall into the trap of thinking a formation is what it's listed as on the team sheet. But it changes, like if you're attacking it changes, if you're defending, like you defend and attack in different shapes and people don't tend to realise that. They're like, what's he doing up there? Or why is he back here now? Or, like, Well, England at the World Cup and yeah. Man City when Kyle Walker plays in that centre, in the, yeah. as the third centre-back is a sort of prime example, isn't it, of that sort of fluid, fluid back line that can... One, where one of the defenders can actually become a midfield. But you often get times where there's a player who you don't know what position they are, which is the case with Messi when he plays false nine. There was, a, there was an El Clasico once where it was, I think it was the 6-2, um, and Pep rang Messi at about 11 o'clock at night saying, Lionel, Lionel, you need to get here now, come to my office, I've found something. Pep's been watching hours and hours of Real Madrid and he's found that the midfielders, Guti and... I think it was Alonso, gets sucked into Xavi and Iniesta, whereas the centre-backs, Cannavaro and Metzelda, like drop drop off to make it deep. So he said to Messi, just go and stand on Guti. Yeah. He won't know what to do. So yeah. he comes there, and then Xavi, before you know it, he's making that run into the box and scoring. Yeah. So they don't know whether they're coming or going, basically. And that's quite a good well, I mean, facet of a formation. If it, That is, I guess, one of the things, if you play a more unconventional formation just that idea of the opposition can't mark man for man causes complete like chaos if you do have that sort of false nine position floating in between the midfield and the defence it's very difficult for the defence to know whether to push up and mark the false nine or the midfield to drop back and mark the false nine you see it with Salah quite a lot don't you Miz he sort of drifts in and sort of plays as a striker 
the defenders don't know what to do with him. Yeah, I think in Klopp's head a lot of the time, Salah is the striker. Yeah, and you, you will. He, I think in his head, if you said to him what what is Salah to, he would he'd tell you he's a striker, whereas he, maybe he's Manny more of a wide player. He likes to get him in those central areas, and yeah, you're exactly right that he drifts in. And I think you see it a lot as well with um, they were talking about it in relation to Sané at the weekend that he loves playing on the left when he's got when Mendy's not there because yeah. Mendy they basically like to occupy the same areas and I think there's maybe a little bit of that as well with, with Liverpool because Trent and Salah have got quite a good connection and I think Trent as a young player is quite willing to you know you can see Salah's moving inside he'll you know take players out wide and come down the right hand and that gives that little channel for Salah to go in but yeah definitely I think Klopp does see Salah as a striker really rather Perhaps even more so than Firmino at times, he'll think Salah's the one that's going to be occupying the closest to that number nine position for most of the game. Yeah. Which, again, that, I guess that just reinforces the point that we're trying to make the, that formation on paper. I mean, I think Brian Clough said famously, football's not played on paper. <laughs> <and> it's still <laughs> played on that green thing, haven't yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, It's so true, isn't it? And we get carried away a lot with the formations and numbers and all this sort of thing but it doesn't I still think it's very difficult to fully replicate what goes on yeah. on that pitch especially on uh, just that preview screen that comes up before a game that's you know says in a very basic way linear way where everyone's playing yeah. it actually doesn't reflect yeah. the intricacies of the game really at all does it so maybe Thiago's got a point yeah, a point, yeah. It won't play like that in real life, will it, at all? So it's just <laughs> 10 years down the line, we could be sat in this, we won't be sat in this booth because we won't be students here, but we could be saying, remember when we were laughing at Thiago Motta? He has now just won the World Cup or something. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll be lecturers in football, time, yeah. um, <laughs> um, we've So we've got a new idea that we, we come up with. So obviously the Christmas period's coming up. And we, we were discussing this ye- yesterday, actually, in our, our weekly board meeting. And we've come up with this idea of, of an advent calendar. So, obviously not, not claiming to have established <laughs> the idea of an advent calendar. But what we're going to do throughout the first 25 days of December is we're going to try to come up with the best player for each number 1 to 25. So players that have worn that kit number on the back. So we'll start off with a, a number one, and then on Christmas Day, um, all our lovely followers out there can wake up to the best ever number twenty-five. And we think at the moment this is probably just going to be a, a social media venture. Yeah. We might, might there might be a few articles chucked in over the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for yeah. some for the the special players amongst them. Yeah, maybe every special player. There's a few numbers that. Like yeah. number twelve, who do we pick for them? If you've got ideas, shout them I out. Mean, we we've, can... been, we've been thinking about Henri for France, haven't do, we? Do you go that's sort of cheating. <laughs> so what? He's an international because he wore fourteen. Yeah, yeah. but I then you, if, if you want Henri, and you have to sacrifice Cruyff, and yeah. I'm not willing to do that. Yeah, I agree. And well, and that's, also, that's and also ten, you've got about fifty to choose from. Yeah, yeah. Well, we yeah, all, yeah. yeah. We also talked about how some players are. You might have an incredible player that happened to have worn a number, but then you also have players that maybe weren't as good but were so iconic because of a number yeah. that... Yeah, you mentioned Cantona, didn't you? I, 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 I can't Cantona in my head. Um, I, obviously, Ronaldo's branded himself as CR7, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, so, for me, like number seven's always been David Beckham at 
Manchester United in England, but yeah. that's the thing, isn't it? Different people have different like associate different players with certain numbers. Yeah, you'll just have to open your door or Twitter on the morning, and we can't promise any chocolates or anything like that, but we can give you nice pictures and run-throughs of the careers of some iconic players. Yes. So look forward to that. Yeah, uh, it's a bit of a shame, really. It's only one to twenty-five because there was a, there's been a thing with. And I'd love to write something about this as well. About the number 39 over... I don't know, it seems to start like maybe 2004 or 5. And Elka wore it. I think, I think Nabil Elzar used to wear it with a ball back in the day. But there's been a few number 39s. It seems to be like a number that you come to a new club and you maybe don't want to... Oh, such and such has got number 8. I don't want to take it off them. I'll get, go for a higher number. And 39 seems to be one that's come up a lot. That's one that's in my head. That's quite an odd number 39 as well because yeah. often players do that and you get a few 99s about for players that yeah. have wanted the number 9 and 77 as well. Mm. You sometimes get the year of a player's birth, I think occasionally yeah. Yeah. seeing that a bit now. Yeah. Like some players in the eight, like um, who were born in the 80s and 90s playing in those numbers. But the number 39... Doesn't particular. I can't really figure out what the significance of the thirty nine. Yeah, I remember an Elka wearing it, and it's it's very strange. Some footballers are incredibly superstitious beings, aren't they? You know, they and they have various peculiar reasons for, for wearing whatever they do. Some fans get really annoyed by it as well. They're like, why aren't? Why isn't it one to eleven? Yeah, like in the historic World Cups, it was one to eleven. And I've been doing. I've been researching Dutch football a bit this week which we'll probably come back to later mm. and the Dutch team was 1-11 to but Johan Cruyff was 14 because he was their best player yeah. so he got the exception and I think that's where it started Yeah, I mean I think just sorry to mention Jurgen Klopp again but he often talks about players positionally in terms of numbers so he talks about 6 and he talks about 8 mm. and he talks about the role they're in so I think he was discussing it in relation to Fabinho being a six in, in his head he has this idea of a six and an eight right. dovetailing in a midfield partnership yeah. that's like that's how he thinks of it um, so that's really interesting as well that that says you know numbers are actually central to a lot of people's yeah. football and philosophies um, we'll move on Mr Barney Stevenson uh, has brought with him a quiz question, which wasn't wasn't compulsory, but he, you know, no, he's yeah, an inquisitive well, young man. Yeah, I just had a bit of time before the pod and thought I might be able to link it in. So um, it's a tenuous link, but I think this player might have been playing at the same side as Thiago Motta for a very brief amount of time. If not, he left. Motta's side as Motta came in so this is a who am I by the way so okay. this player has played under Steve Bruce Claudio Ranieri and Louis van Gaal and he's played with Jordan Henderson Jermaine Pennant and uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank you're going to have to repeat that the managers were van Gaal Managers are Van Ranieri. Ranieri, Steve Bruce. And the players are Hendo. Hendo, Pennant, Hasselbank, and tenuously, possibly, Thiago Motta. That is a tough question. Right, well, what we'll do, unless you, I can't think, we'll, well, come, back, we'll come back to it at the end, yeah, so our fine. listeners can think over that. Yeah. 
I can sprinkle a few extra players in at the end as well, so I'll, I'll let people have a think about it, but um, we'll, we'll add some some extras at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. I'm happy with that. Yeah. So the next thing we, we want to talk about is the Copa Libertadores. So the second leg of the final, first leg was 2 all a few weeks ago, was scheduled to be played on Saturday evening. I'm sure we've all seen the scenes, and I'm sure our listeners have seen the pretty disturbing scenes, really, of the of the fans attacking the the River Plate fans, that is, attacking the Boca Juniors bus um, on its way into the Monumental, which is the River Plate Stadium. Um, they were throwing all sorts at that bus. The captain of Boca Juniors got a piece of glass into his eye. Other players were injured. The game was delayed a few times, kept getting pushed back, everyone was getting increasingly uneasy um, and eventually it was postponed and scheduled to play the next day, which was Sunday. And then, what do you know, typical style of Argentinian football, it gets postponed again yeah. and nobody knows exactly when it's going to get played oh, again. Oh, where? Oh, where? Indeed, where? There's a, there's a meeting today. Um, which may still be going on now, actually. It's uh, it's 11 o'clock while we're recording this, and there's a meeting in Asuncion, which is somewhere that you're familiar with, isn't it, Bob? Beautiful place. Yeah. Um, there's a meeting going on there to decide when and where this second leg is going to be played. The big issue they've got is that the G20 Summit is starting on Thursday, Thursday. in Buenos Aires. So they've got a mass... Obviously... This happened with their full police capability. There's no way they're going to be able to handle this if they've got only part of their uh, security forces available. But the big question point in terms of getting it over the line is the Club World Cup starts on the 12th of December. So obviously the Copa Libertadores winners go to that competition to represent um, their, their confederation. So... They're now saying that the 8th of December will be the cut-off for that, which, when you take into account that G20, it only really leaves the kind of around the area of the 8th. But there's still this question mark of, can it, you know, is this just going to happen again? And then, should it even be played at all? Uh, Carlos Tevez pointed out that Boca fired pepper spray at the River players back in 2015, and they kind of lost the game as a result of that. So he floated the idea that similar things should happen. And to us, some journalists have got so kind of fed up with it, they're just saying, you know, if the, if the fans behave like this, and this isn't new to Argentinian football, should it be played at all? Should they just forget it and say, right, you're, there's not, we're not doing it this year? If they're behaving like this, this represents the whole of the country and continent, and yeah, and, and the continent. Maybe don't even let them have a team at that competition. Um, it's a very volatile situation clearly we, we're yeah. not used to seeing anything like this um, in Europe and it brings up ideas of you know, the, what kind of aggression or, or violence have we seen in football ourselves and have we've all been to, to games before have you ever felt intimidated when you've been at a game? Well I think first of all this was um South America's chance to prove that they could compete with European football. Not like they've not got the quality, but this was their chance to say, hold on a minute, we're good, Like we have a good system. Um, 
this match was on English telly. It's one of the only, well, it was on BT Sport. It was one of the only South American matches that get this sort of recognition outside of South America. I mean, I've watched a few South American games, but this I was actually excited to watch. Um, but this was their chance to show that they could be on the same level as European football, but they've blown it because they can't even put the match together because of the fans. Um, and there was a weird situation where if River Plate won, there'd be a horrible like storm of like people saying the match should have never been played because of what River Plate fans did. If Boca Juniors won, which would have... I think everyone was on Boca's side after what happened to their coach. Um, if they won, like, I I would fear for them their coach getting out of the ground. The River Plate fans just wouldn't... They'd, they'd, I don't know what they'd do to it, but they wouldn't let it get out safely. Yeah, just to add... Well, I, so I agree with that point, especially about... Um, it's very much been uh, South America's chance to boost the profile of South American football. I mean, um, River Boca is South America's equivalent, really, of Barca Real. And um, as you say, you know, it's been on... It's been shown around the world... Well, the game would have been shown around the world. I think, um, although generally I'm not a big fan of the idea of uh, taking games out of their sort of natural environment and being played abroad, I do think that after what's happened, South American football now is kind of presented with an opportunity of actually being able to play the game somewhere else, in a diff- on a different continent, and uh, and just gaining exposure from that. So, I mean... Although, although I wouldn't usually be a big fan of that idea, I think that it's a particularly good opportunity for South American football to boost its profile. And uh, I'd be looking at playing the game, maybe not in the UAE, actually, because they'll, they'll be playing there anyway. I'd be looking at playing it in sort of America or China or Southeast or something like that. Yeah. Um, going back to your original question, whether I've felt intimidated at a football match, not really. There have been a few times where I've been. This is a bit volatile. I remember I went to a match. I was a, I was on holiday in Madrid actually, so I got tickets for Spain v Italy. It was like a pretty big qualifier actually. It was only the tickets were like ten to twenty euros max. So I was like, we're going this. Um, and my girlfriend doesn't really like football, but she likes watching Man City. But like, she didn't like being out of the comfort zone of Estadio Bernabeu because it's so. We were so high up. And it was just out of the comfort zone. And they eat these, like, seedy things. I don't know what they are. And they just throw them at you. So, like, every two minutes you'd have a seed flying to the back of your head. And it got to the point where I was just trying to watch Isco and David Silver and Co. just strut the stuff. And I couldn't because I just kept getting seeded. And I was like... I'm, I'm, it got to about 4-0 on, like, 80 minutes. I was like, let's go. Let's beat the rush because I don't want to walk out of all these rowdy... Madrid folk, I don't like that was a thing as well. Like they hate like uh, PK um, was there obviously, and he was winding up the Spanish fans who are meant to be supporting him, but it's at the Bernabeu, and he was just like winding them up, and they were getting pretty volatile about their own player. So it was quite an intimidating situation. I don't know if you, either of you, have ever felt intimidated at a match. Um, well, I'm trying to think. So I've been to two. I've been to two games abroad. I went to a. Went to Sweden, Belgium at um, Euro 2016 in Nice. 
And I have to say the atmosphere uh, around that game was excellent and everyone was very friendly. Um, and then I went to um, Lazio Napoli, the Stadio Olimpico, this August, which I guess a Lazio game is the sort of game you would expect to maybe be a little bit uh, more volatile in its atmosphere, but I have to say it wasn't particularly. There was a bit of an edge to it the whole time, but there was no. I never actually felt directly threatened at any point. Um, I think in general, going to away games in England is. I've I've felt more intimidated, or I think the atmosphere is quite often more intimidating. But at the same time, I think a lot of it really in England is uh, kind of just for show. It's just, uh, you know, it's kind of 16, well, you know, 14 to 18-year-olds. In the Stone Islands. Yeah, yeah. in their Stone Islands, uh, trying to act hard. So although the atmosphere is a little bit hostile, I don't ever really feel in any particular danger. What about you, miss? (coughs) Pardon me. Well, I think that's an interesting point that you make about how it's for show. I think in, in what you see in England, a lot of the time... The away fans are obviously behind on one end, you know, behind the goal, and they'll have like half of that stand. And then you've got your classic big line of stewards that are lying between. And then you've got all these people that, when there's a goal, or it doesn't matter which team score, you know, they've got all this like that, you know, the hand, the hand waving and off, see you outside after the game, and this sort of thing. And as you say, I think at least 90% of that is just bravado. Like, I don't think, at least I like to think very few. Football fans in England go to the game these days with the actual view of have you know having a fight, um, and I, I actually think you know all this you know banter and find this particular person in the opposite section of fans and you know saying something to them. I it, I think a lot of the time it's harmless enough. You know if you've not been to a football match, you might think oh that you know that's horrible or whatever. But I think really it's part of it, and really that is fine compared to attacking uh, a bus on the way in to to such a big fixture when it, you know they already know that there's been such violence in Argentinian football you would have thought they'd said look let's just try and make sure you know if they if they could have had a nice calm afternoon maybe not in the actual ground with the football and all that then people would have come away we've talked about how everyone was watching it around the world all eyes were on that game and their reputation would have been enhanced so much. People would have started to take more of an interest in Boca and River. Whereas now, I, d- I don't think they are. You know, they're just going to look look down on them a bit. Really, I think the rest of the the footballing world, which is which is sad. I think I think an odd thing is, I'm not sure about it, is do the do, do the fans. I do understand the idea of fans wanting to intimidate the opposition and make the opposition feel uncomfortable, uh, sort of on arrival and that sort of thing. But surely, as a fan, you don't actually want to get the game postponed. You do act- You want the game to go ahead. You want. You want to see a football match. I don't know. It's, it seems. It seems like strange. Just strange behaviour, really, especially after the last game being obviously postponed for other reasons, but. Yeah, that was rain, wasn't it? Yeah. But still, there was yeah. quite a lot of trouble after that game, I believe. Yeah, I, I think the thing with this was people are perhaps suggesting that it, it means so much that it also almost means too much to them that maybe there is that kind of fear that 
maybe they don't want it to happen because they just fear, you know, that possibility of losing so much. Like yeah. people, people have been saying that. Obviously, we we talk about derbies in England and say you know United are playing City. Say you lose, say mm. City lose to United, you're like, oh, I'm going to be teased about that all week in work, which yeah. maybe will be. Um, yeah, you mm. might be. But they've been saying this game in Argentina, literally, it's going to be 50 years. People are going to be going yeah, on yeah. about it, and yeah. they, and like we've seen, that probably isn't an exaggeration. Like it, li- it literally does mean that much that maybe they are scared of it, and they just think we we don't want this to happen. Yeah. And maybe maybe it shouldn't. Uh, you, Lewis Steele had a uh, you had an attempt at the quiz question. But well, I, I, you might have noticed it went quiet for a few seconds, I did, for a Lewis, few minutes. Yeah. I was I was. I wasn't really in the room, and I was there. My body was it, but in spirit, my head was drifting back into the okay. 2004-5 era. Welcome back, I've, Lewis. I've got like a few guesses for your question, um, but it doesn't check out. I can't. I can't match well, up Jordan you, Henderson. Uh, so let, let's hear you guess. My guess was Jasper Gronkaya. That's, um, a, that's an excellent guess. He's played really? at Ajax, so we've checked out on Bangor. Yeah, he yeah. He's played at Chelsea, so we check out uh, Hasselbank, Ranieri. Yeah. He's played at Birmingham, that's where we've got the link with um, Jermaine Pennant and Steve Bruce. And he, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm really annoyed at this. I, and he's also played at Atletico Madrid with Thiago Motta, who was there for I, like a I, brief I, spell. I, I, I think one. he's possibly. I thought maybe. Jordan Hen- I thought I maybe. Think it's, uh, I think Bolo's ended. Miz has got it there. <laughs> <laughs> but but Lewis's answer is almost better than that. He's probably played he's played at Henderson with at Sun, with uh, Henderson at Sunderland. So shall, shall I explain where he's Sorry, where they've all been so um yeah Bolo was at um Barca with nice. Van Hal and Thiago Motta, although nice. Thiago Motta was at Barcelona B until 2001 when Zenden left so that was why that was tenuous there I think that counts um, and then um, Steve Bruce at Sunderland Ranieri at Chelsea um, Hasselbank at Chelsea Henderson at Sunderland Pennant at Liverpool and uh, I was going to throw in the, the clues of Gareth Southgate and Steve McLaren yeah, where he was at Middlesbrough. Yeah. That's very good. I'm I'm pleased about that question. I'm annoyed I didn't get I'm, it. It's an excellent guess. But I'm happy it that I made a good absolutely start. Absolutely fantastic guess. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'll come back better next week. Also, did you say that Jermaine Pennant played for Atletico Madrid? No, Birmingham. Yeah, who played Thiago Motta? I played with... Um, oh, yeah. No, sorry. Gronkia. Jasper Gronkia was there for... I don't know, at the same time. Okay. But anyway. Yeah, fantastic guess. Jogs so, memory a bit. Hopefully, uh, some, some of our listeners... Got that out there. I'm sure they probably did. If you did, give us a give us a tweet. Get in touch with us. Let us let us know because we always like to. This is what. We and like. also, if you didn't, or if you did anyway, pose a quiz question for next week. Yeah. we love we love a good yeah, quiz. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is pretty much what we end up talking about normally. Yeah. Um, these guys. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably be firing one back at you. I haven't actually got one in my head, but yeah, Bo- Bolo's ending. Yeah. Nice, good and boy. Jesper Gronkier as well. What, yeah, what great throwback. Yeah, yeah, great throwback. Don't know how to spell his name, but we're not getting onto that again. <laughs> no, I think he might have one of those funky characters in, like yeah, yeah a bit like, yeah, bit yeah, like yeah, our mate Herman. Yeah, yeah like so, so now with uh, 
with a yeah. cross through. There must be a technical term for that, but if you if you'd like to hear more about that, then check out the first episode of the pod uh, where we talk about Herman Haridas and, yeah. and Benjani Mawuwari. Does ben uh, does anyone remember Jesper Gronkia pulling Pavel Nedved's hair at Euro two thousand four? I don't because I mean I don't know if I've made that up, but I think that happened. And if it did, mm. that was a horrible moment, wasn't it? And we don't want to see any more of that. No. From we don't at all. And I'm almost annoyed. And I feel like it would be immoral to name the podcast after Jasper Gronkar. Yeah, definitely. But we we should maybe talk about him. But we're not. We could name it after him. I but we we could. Pavel Nedved was for me the last player I can remember. To have the full on mop head. Like it was an actual it was just a mop, wasn't it? Like yeah. Yeah. it was just Great, going, yeah. it was savage-esque mop, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And he was actually good. Yeah, you, you, you saw quite a lot of that in the sort of two thousand to two thousand and ten era. It's not a particularly fashionable hairstyle anymore, is it, for the for no, no. And while we're on the topic of our good mate Pavel Nedved. Hmm. Keep your eyes peeled on the 5wfootball.com web- website this week. We will have a piece on the brilliance of Pavel Nedved. Why he was forgotten, but why he was so good. That'll be up by Jack Perry, who's writing it at the moment, I believe. And I might send him an angry email asking where it is. But Our first contributor, I think. It is, our... right, yeah. And so, also, very good striker as well. Almost scored as many goals for me as yeah. a bit. You had to get that in there, yeah, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost. And I think we've got a question from him later, but... We we do we've got so yeah, yeah that's I feel like we we should maybe introduce him a little bit but that's Jack Perry no relation to Fred of course the the famous first British women <laughs> champion <laughs> well he might be we haven't asked him yeah so we should get him on the line we should get him on the line at some point yeah um, we'll get him on one week but Dutch football right now as you probably gathered already listeners Lewis has got a bit of a thing going for Dutch football now I I tease about this I just think he wants you just want Frankie De Jong to join City don't you that, I do and he would keep the, the yeah. long if, line if we're honest this Dutch team is really just all about Van Dijk and Wijnaldum well Frankie and De Jong and Ryan Babbel of course yeah. Frankie De Jong would keep going the theme of long haired midfielders so I, I would like that but yeah I've wrote a piece on Dutch football this week called The Rise, Demise and Rebuild of Dutch Football with a lovely image of Johan Cruyff as the featured image so you could should go and check that out. Um, it basically talks about how cultures and civilizations rise and fall in a secular nature. And I've somehow, somehow applied that to football um, because the constant is always the church. And with Holland, the constant is always the church, which is the Barca way of playing. Well, no, the Dutch way of playing, which Barca stole. Yeah. Uh, total football under um, Renus, uh, Michaels, and then Johan Cruyff. So, yeah, go and check that out. Truly biblically read out there by Lewis Steele. And there's some nice images, including one of Frankie de Jong at the bottom. Soon to be of Manchester City. Hopefully, although I don't want to jinx it because I've done that before. Future Euro 2020 winners, Lewis? Uh, I've been looking at this. So they've got a good team. They've got, obviously, de Jong and Matthias de Litt as well. Uh, They've also got Memphis Depay, who Mm. has been in the news this week for various reasons, who's obviously very good now. They've got... Some good players. Ryan Babel is still one of the best players in that team, and obviously they've got the one of the best leaders in world football. Um, 
not Virgil. No, it is Van, Virgil yeah, van Dijk. I didn't want to admit that because I know how much you love him. But yeah, that'll he's good. Help, that'll help. Uh, in all seriousness, I think that will really help. Uh, how do you say, delight? Delight. It's a, it's a delightful team. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but I think that will help him. I mean, him, yeah. seeing what he's done to Joe Gomez or Throw Thromas, what they're now calling him, uh, I think it'll have a I think it'll have a wonderful impact on him. Yeah. Yeah, it would. Um, and also. There's a lot on the 1974 team in there if you want to go and check it out. So please do. And retweet on Twitter if you like it. Excellent. Uh, Lewis, you've got a quiz question now, apparently. Probably everyone's got a quiz question these days. I do. Um, this You probably won't get the answer, so I'm wearing well, for time. Yeah. Well, we'll um, have, I'm going to pose it, it and I might even give you till next week to get it. Well, I mean, I got your last one very quickly. Last yeah, so week. I sort of, I sort of um, teased Barnabas with this yesterday, um, and I told him the question was going to be an ex-politician's favourite fo- uh, Premier League footballer. To which I answered, I think Margaret, Margaret Thatcher, Thatcher and Paul Gascoigne. Yeah, but it's which... a bit more recent than that. It's uh, Tony Blair's favourite Premier League footballer. Oh, I should know this. So, and they named three, but I just want one of them. Is it so, Newcastle Blair? Is he a new, is he a new? Yeah, I think he maybe is a new. But I just fan, remember. Do you remember there was a there was a, a film about the Queen? It may well have been called the Queen. The Queen. And Tony Blair obviously features in it, and he always walks around in a Newcastle shirt. I can in a sort of old school Newcastle. shirt. I don't know if yeah, like the Newcastle Brown. One. Yeah. I don't know if I've made that up. Uh, I I'm, I've not watched the film, um, but you are on the wrong lines. I'm afraid entirely the wrong lines. The, with Newcastle, I'm sure. You're probably thinking of Shearer. You're close on Shearer. Are we there's three, right on Newcastle? No, there's right. three players, but you're close. One of them's close to Shearer. Is to it, uh, can we have the nationalities? Gary Vickers pretty close to Shearer. Yeah. <laughs> nationalities. So you've got one great English striker. Teddy Sheringham. Yep. <laughs> because it's close to Shearer. He was either Southern or Sheringham. I don't know. I, uh, I think one is actually Dutch, but I'm just going to have to do a quick search. No, you're not getting this, I'm afraid. Um, and if you've been doing your research about um, Harry Redknapp's Portsmouth, you might get it. Um, and then there's also... But he's, and he's Dutch? Yeah. What, I, what position does he play? I think he was a midfielder. Dutch midfielder. I think he could play fullback as well. Yeah, I think he was a fullback as well. You've got it, because you, well, you cheated seen, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the answer I'm looking for, do you want me to reveal the answer? No, I, d- I don't. Yeah. I want a little bit longer to think about it. So wait, I've got a Dutch fullback who played for Portsmouth. Yeah, and I mean, for I Wigan as well. I should be a bit faster. And for w- Melchior? No, he, he's not. He played for Is Wigan. He d- yeah, he's he Dutch, did. Yeah, yeah. but he, he didn't play for Portsmouth. I'll tell you what I'll do, because this guy's had a glittering career. This is... All right, I'll tell you the careers of both of them. Okay. And first, I'm going to go with our Dutch friend who played for... Let me just load this up. So, his first English club was Barnsley, and then yeah. Wigan... And then Pompey, then Wigan again, then Coventry, and then he would move back to the Netherlands. Um, That's difficult, though. He's actually apparently a centre back, so I don't um, But I don't think you'll get that one, but the one you might get. I think this is a very hard question, Lewis. Yeah, it is on purpose because the last week's was too easy. This one um, is a French midfielder who was probably very underrated, I think. Or a I, I like Le- him. You're Leon? On the, you're on the exact right lines. Leon, think of that like iconic Leon kit, you know the one with like Janino and. You're on the exact right line. Okay. And then so he moved to Fulham. Mm, yeah. Steve Melbron. Steve Melbron. 
You've got it. Fantastic. But I still um, still need the other, don't I? He was a bit of a... No, you've got it. Oh, yeah, you have I need the pole. Yeah. Shall I throw in the towel and accept yeah, two out of three? So. It's uh, Ian Dezeu. I do remember Dezeu, yeah. yeah. But he so, was... Did he play central midfield as well that's as centre-back? That's why I said it first, yeah. No, he was very much a club captain sort of mm, player, wasn't he? Yeah, I don't know how good he was. No, yeah, I don't particularly Made him pro, probably all right. Didn't know he played for Barnsley either. Didn't, locals here of course. Yeah. Good story. Um, so about that request from Jack Perry, relation of Fred possibly, we don't yeah. know. Um, Great grandson. Jack Fred. Perry has asked us. Now, this follows on from the weekend's action when Alan Hutton scored a won the goal actually was no, that that's Jack, not that's not Jack Perry's asked us is there a player who you've been wrong about um, someone that you thought was excellent but actually didn't have the career that it that his talents potentially warranted I've never been wrong about a footballer I think you have <laughs> there's got to be someone his Jack Perry's is uh, Adnan Yanazai who he yeah. thought was that's, that's destined to end up at Real Real Madrid or Barcelona, and he was good when he broke through. So I, I don't. He blame did still Jack score in the World Cup, though, didn't he? Against he did. England, his career's not necessarily yeah, fully but... gone. But yeah, I mean, I I agree. Those he's now he made he make his debut against Sunderland. Maybe? Yeah, yeah he, he scored two. quite a few. I don't know yeah. if his debut, Is that? Yeah. Are you start, getting mixed yeah. up? But no, you're not. I was thinking Federico Makeda. Uh, that's a tough question, yeah. actually, Jack Perry. Well, um, Fre- Federico Makeda actually is poss- is definitely one that I did think when he first yeah. came through. So he made his debut against Villa, play, I think. Players we thought were going to be very good. One that I've got, which is... I've been thinking about this player for the last few weeks now, particularly because Sterling's been doing so well last season and this ah, season. It's going to be Jordan Ibe, isn't it? It is going to be Jordan Ibe, and mm. I'll tell you why for a few reasons. When... Klopp came in Jordan I've actually featured quite a lot he played in, in the Europa League I remember he scored the only goal in an away win we had a 1-0 win I forget who it was against and there was a, a footage of I, Klopp coming on and giving him a big big hug and you, you thought he was going to be a player that was really going to feature and a lot of Liverpool fans myself included were saying at the time that Jordan Ibe in some ways was doing or showing signs of doing things that Raheem Sterling never did for mm-hmm. Liverpool and that was the end product which clearly now Sterling showing that he's added that to his game but I look like he might be able to actually be more useful for us than, than Sterling had been and then about a year later he ended up going to Bournemouth for 15 million now that was back in the pre what I call the pre-Pogba and Neymar days yeah. before transfer fees went mental yeah. So 15 million was a lot of money for him when he hadn't really achieved anything at all. And he went there as their, he was their record sign at the time. I think that was later eclipsed by uh, Nathan Ake. Yeah. But he, he's not really featured much for them. And he's, he's just been disappointing. And I noticed he's, he's got the number 10 shirt there. And mm. he, he's played a few games, but he really does, to use another football cliche, but he flatters to deceive. He looks all right at times, but he was one that I thought was really going to be a good player. He's big, well-built, strong, quick. You know, if you just added that that final bit of end product, they look like he would. But Mm. it hasn't happened for him as of yet. He's not. He's not that old. I don't think. Yeah, how old is he? He's twenty-two. 
22. Oh, he's got his whole life ahead of him. And then if, if he's, yeah, if he's, he's still 22, good. that means I can still make it, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Plenty of time for you both. Exactly. Maybe not for yourself. But no, uh, I, am, yeah. I am a year older. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm past grades, it. Uh, I've, yeah, I've, I've got a couple. My, my original oh, first yeah. four. Who well, I said someone off air, didn't I? But I can't remember who it was, and then I said I've done the pattern. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> said pattern, now, but the, the criteria I've used in my head while I've been trying to think of an answer is FIFA. And you know when they have their potentials, yeah. there was two of a Barca team that should have been good but didn't: Bojan and uh, Gio dos Santos. I was just going to say Gio dos Santos. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I, I, I can talk about Bojan. I think he is still quite a good player, but in the Championship for Stoke, so. Is he, st- is he still at Stoke? He is, he is, after a few weird loans to weird places, like I think maybe Mainz. Um, but yeah, uh, there, was, there was a time where he played against Schalke in the Champions League quarterfinals, I think it was, for Barca. Um, Mamal Neuer's in goal for Schalke. Omri, well, Omri has a go. Neuer makes a great save. It falls to Mr. Bojan Krukic, or however you say it. But he didn't... Who <laughs> scored and he, he didn't... It, it didn't go. It didn't go for him. But shame, really. But there you go. Yeah. Who's your? Was yours? No, well, I mean, I've a few spring to mind. Yeah, Giovanni de Santos was one because um, he came through at Barca in about two thousand and seven, I think. About that, yeah. And uh, and had been playing quite a lot for Barca and then moved to Spurs, I think, under one day Ramos, which I don't think at the time was necessarily seen as massively. Uh, move as in he'd failed at Barca so was stepping down to Spurs it was more of a he's a young player he needs some time to develop he'll go to Spurs and become the player that he's going to become but I mean as with most players under Rame Ramos sorry at that time um, at Spurs it didn't happen for him at all and then his career's I think just become quite bizarre really the last place I remember seeing him was uh, LA Galaxy I think with yeah, his brother still Jonathan LA. yeah yeah, yeah. He, he had a weird loan spell at Ipswich during that time at Spurs actually yeah he did didn't he yeah, uh, yeah. Um, we've got another quick question which comes in from Alex Brotherton and he asks after Alan Hutton's Messi-esque goal at the weekend what are the best goals scored by bang average players so for this one, I people I've not actually seen Hutton's goal from the weekend, but people are making a very big deal out of this goal and the fact that Alan Hutton scored it. But earlier this season, I was at a Hull City Aston Villa game, and he scored a very messy esque goal in that game as well. So the news didn't actually come as a surprise to me that Alan Hutton had scored such a good goal. Um, in terms of goals, spectacular goals by particularly average players. Um, Dennis Wise once scored a very spectacular bicycle kick from the edge of the box uh, against Hull City at the KCON and that's probably the best goal I've ever seen live Yeah, what's yours mate? Well I've got to one of them I've already I tweeted out yesterday um, Was it's a very similar situation it's um, Nadam Anua nice. and he was at Sunderland formerly at Man City but when he was at Sunderland which is where he went after City uh, Sunderland are very good away win at Chelsea I remember Asmo Ajan being involved but Nader Manua scored um, a, a kind of similar goal to Hutton's in that he basically picked the ball up just outside the box and he kind of just a couple of shimmies and kept going ended up in the box and poked it home and my take on these goals which is a bit like Hutton's is when you have 
a fullback or a centre back running at you, you don't expect them to have the confidence to keep the ball. Typically, they get a bit of a nosebleed when they pass that into that final third of the pitch, and they think, right, let's get it out wide, right, left, or give it to someone else. So defenders often think, right, I'll I'll stay with whoever I'm marking, I'll stay with the striker, the number nine, instead of getting drawn into them. So I think that's how it comes about. So I think they are spectacular. It's great to see it happen. But I sometimes think it's more impressive when a centre-back that you don't associate with a screamer in the traditional sense scores a long-distance goal. And my one, which is very painful for me, was Phil Jagielka scored an equaliser against Liverpool. Mm. Um, it was back in... It was in 2014, 14-15 season. Um, and it was around the very end of September and yeah it was at the cop end and that was it kind of dropped he hit it on the half volley but it was he got a bit of kind of swaz on it and it was going outside go dipping away and into that top corner that was an incredible finish Joe Davis almost hit one of those didn't he I think last yeah, Tuesday where you just catch it <laughs> and he did I love, go- I love screamers from uh, centre backs to be fair mine's probably um to E against Spurs, do you remember that? Yes, oh, that I was do. a good yeah, goal. I yeah. don't know. I, you can't really label him a bad player though, because he's a very no, good defender. No, yeah. So that's I might, that, have, yeah. You might have to come back to me we're, on that. We're one. not saying Phil Jagielka is a bang average player. There, what I'm saying is that you wouldn't. We don't expect any kind of attacking output from Jagielka, apart from maybe a header. And there's that one from Martin De Michaelis as well, which is yeah, yeah. unreal technique. But yeah. Yeah, we could talk about this one for hours, but I think that's that's what we've got. Yeah, thanks for your question, Alex Brotherton. What's yeah. yours? Let us know what yours is. Yeah, definitely. You, definitely. Must, you must have some up your sleeve if you've asked a question. Hundred percent. Yeah. So that we're, we're coming towards the end now yeah. of our we are. of our second episode. Being, how, how long has this been? We've we've been here for fifty seven, coming up fifty eight minutes now. Right, but I have okay. to say, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a calmer setting, but yeah. I very much need the toilet, yeah. which isn't why we're finishing now. But uh, Lewis Steele, thank you for thank joining you, us. Thank you, Andrew. Barney uh, Stevenson, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Andrew. Goodbye. <laughs>